All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We will begin by praying, and then I want to... I want to kind of give you a, just a brief lesson of some, this is something that's been on my heart as we have been moving toward VBS, and I was trying to find a time to have a meeting with the teachers of the VBS, the, the chiefs, but it occurred to me that this might be the best time to do it. I want to talk about and give some, give some advice, give some maybe biblical advice when you go in to teach kids at, at VBS. Now, we know at VBS there's going to be a lot of kids from, uh, well, hopefully there'll be a lot of kids, and hopefully they'll be from various backgrounds. And I know there's some diversity among the kids that are already, I know that for a fact, because I know some of the kids that are coming. And some of the kids are not going to be very well behaved, and some of them are going to be perfect little angels. And, uh, of course, we know the lessons that are, that are to be taught each night, and, of course, there's, there's a lot of different ways those can go, but I felt like it was important for everyone involved to be on the same page as to what, what the, the thrust is, what, the, the, what our goal is, and how best to deal with, with kids and ministering to children. And, you know, I have, of course, I have a lot of children myself, and we've spent a lot of time teaching them. And, uh, you know, I used to teach, my wife and I used to teach the children's church at Choice Hills way back in the day. And then, uh, and of course, we had children's ministries in Cambodia. And uh, there, there's some things, I think, that are some scriptural points that are very good to remember when you go in to teach kids. Because if not, if you, if you, don't, if you don't intentionally go in to teach the kids and you know before walking into the room, before greeting the kids, before next Monday, if you don't know kind of the direction you're going to go, what is always what you're gonna, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to fall back on your de default. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes, sometimes that makes it more difficult, and it makes things less clear. And, of course, one thing, we, one thing we want with the kids is we want it to be clear. The message that they get from us is the right message. It's clear, but it comes from the right attitude and the right heart from those of us who are teaching them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse number, uh, let's start in verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. I said I would pray, didn't I? Let's pray, and then we'll start reading. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to meet with your people here tonight. I pray for them that you would strengthen them and edify them. You would cause them to stand. I thank you so much that such a, a high uh, percentage, such a great number of our church people, uh, in this family, are uh, willing and able and desirous to help in VBS. That, Lord, we don't have a, so much a shortage of workers as we have a, a desire to see more children come to it. And, Lord, we do pray that you would really hear us and that you would bring in the kids that we could minister to them. Lord, use the flyers, the word-of-mouth invitations, the social media invitations, uh, the, the sign, the church sign on the street out there, and whatever other means that might be there to invite the kids and stir up the parents, stir up the kids to want to be here. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us to be effective ministers 
to these kids. As we look at your word now, please guide us and help us to see what you'd have us to see from your word and to see it plainly and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18 says this, For the preaching of the cross is to them to perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, it was the world's wisdom itself that prevented them from knowing God. What they considered to be their own wisdom is what actually was the very hindrance to them knowing God. The world by wisdom knew not God. Now you think about that in in a different context. Take someone who does not have wisdom. You take someone that understands that they're not wise. There's just innately, they know that they lack wisdom. A child. You don't have that barrier. Now, there's a lot of other barriers when it comes to kids, not the, not the least of which is how rambunctious and uh, they are and how, how, how many ants they have in their pants. But But the one spiritual barrier that you have is, generally speaking, and we talked about this some uh, some time ago, but they do not have this wisdom that blocks their mind from the truth so much. It said, verse 21, in the middle, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Notice verse 23, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but just note it. But we, now Paul is not saying I, he's saying we. You know who that is? That's himself, but that's also the people to whom he's speaking. The church, that's you. You, Did you know you're a preacher of the gospel? Right? It says, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Now among children, you know what you have? You have people that are not wise, not mighty, not noble. The Lord says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the, of the world to confound the wise, God, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the thing, things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. This could easily be applied to kids. This could easily be applied to kids because they're not mighty, they're not wise, they're not noble. And the way the world views them is often as a nuisance, as a bother, 
as things that cause us to stumble. In fact, yesterday I was walking. We were at the mall for 4th of July. I have no idea why we do this. But we were at the mall because my wife had a few things to pick up. And Isaiah was walking in front of me, and he wasn't, I guess he wasn't paying attention, and he just like stopped. And I was looking over here, and I just like ran into him. But that's the way we view kids, as, as they're always, you know, under our feet. They're always tripping us up. They're always kind of a nuisance. That's, that's a, that is a common way to view kids, that their base, sometimes even despised. People talk about how they want kids out of their hair, right? Sometimes you've heard people say things to the effect of kids are better seen than heard, right? You've heard that before. And that kind of attitude toward children, it's not a biblical attitude. It's not a biblical attitude. Because according to this, one group of people that fits this that we read here are children. And it's no surprise then that many, many, many people that come to Christ do so as children. How many of you were saved when you were under 18? That's by far the majority of, of people. in. How many of you were saved when you were under 12? That's still the majority of this room. That's, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All those barriers that come with sin, with age, with wisdom, so-called, all those things come up later in life. And so it makes kids kind of a ripe, kind of in a ripe place to uh, to receive the gospel. And so what I'm saying is that this VBS is a worthy ministry because we are, we are investing in kids and in, a, in, a, in, in what is really a formative uh, part of their life. And, it's, and this is what I want to say. So ministry to children is not something that we should look lightly upon. You think VBS were working with kids, you know, what do kids know? What do they understand? Is this really worth it? No, it is worth it. It absolutely is worth it. Look at uh, the book, Hold Your Place Here. We'll come back here. Look at Zechariah chapter 4. And also look at Haggai chapter 2. They're close together. Zechariah chapter 4, because Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. That is, they lived in the same period. In the period of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were the God's prophets for that, that era. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says this, speaking of Zerubbabel, who was the governor at that time, he says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet, that's a, a construction tool, in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. See, when you, when you understand the context of this, Zechariah lived in a time when the temple, and you'll see it more, more, clearly, in a minute, more clearly in a minute, but the temple was much smaller than Solomon's temple. It was something to be lightly esteemed. And so they felt the same things that sometimes we feel when something is small and people kind of look down on it. Like, for instance, sometimes people, you know, one thing in, in, in preacher circles, you know, a lot of times preachers ask, well, how many do you have coming on Sunday? You know, and, well, you know, we, we've got, 
you know, we've got 25 or whatever, you know. And people feel sheepish about that. People feel sheepish about it. But the Lord said, just like this, you don't, you don't have to feel sheepish about that. Who hath despised the day of small things? These little kids, you know, they're not even adults. What can they do? They don't have money. They can't, they can't help the church. They can't become church members and deacons and faithful people, and they can't really contribute. Uh-uh. That's not the right attitude to have toward them, and that's not something we should look lightly upon. Haggai, if you look at that, chapter 2 says this. Verse number three, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? You see, comparing Solomon's temple, for those that had seen it, to the new temple, this would be the second temple. He says, it's nothing. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Did the Lord despise the day of small things? Did the Lord despise this small work that was minuscule compared to Solomon's temple? No, he encouraged them in it. I'm watching. I'm pleased. And he says down in verse 6, Yet once, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and, and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. See that? What they saw as something minor and small and something to be despised, God says, no, what is small now will be great. And that's the way we look at with kids. Kids will not always be kids. That's what you have to remember. All of you were saved as a little despised child. They raised your hand a minute ago. Some of you were under 12 years old. The majority of you were under 12 years old. But what are you now? You're a faithful, dedicated servant of God. That is not to be looked lightly upon. But one day you are a little kid, just like some of these kids that we'll see on Monday. We should put forth the same effort that we would with adults, and perhaps more, because we know there are challenges with kids that aren't present with adults. That means we've got to be a little bit more. We've got to be a little bit more creative. We have to put more time and effort into it. We have to think, maybe I do need to get a full-size lion outfit just to keep the kids' attention. Hint, hint. Right? <laughs> You see what I'm saying? We should not look lightly upon it. We should, we should not spend less time in prayer. We should not spend less time in study. We should put our full effort into it. These kids will one day be adults. Second thing I want you to see. Give the kids the milk of the word. Give the kids the milk of the word. We're, got, we're coming back to 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Peter 1 Peter 2, verse 2. You know these verses, but I just want to point out a few things in it as it relates to our, our VBS and working with kids. And I'll tell you what I mean when I say give kids the milk of the Word. I mean that in two ways. But let's look at 1 Peter 2, 2. Verse 1 says this, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, 
As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Sincere. You could also say pure, unmixed, sincere. But this is the milk of the word. We know that, we know in the scripture, we won't turn to it because I know you are all, every one of you in here is familiar with the, the comparison of the word some, uh, uh, to strong meat, a reference to solid food, like we think of a baby eating solid food. A lot of people think strong meat refers to like steak. It's just solid food. Uh, like Nathaniel is not at a point where he can drink solid food. But that does not mean that Nathaniel's not getting nutrition when he's drinking milk. See, the, the difference between solid food and the, the sincere, the pure milk, is just the ability to digest. But they're both nutritious. In fact, one is needed at one point in life and one is needed at a different point in life. And of course, if you saw someone who is aged, who is drinking milk, you would think that there's a problem. And that's what Hebrews chapter 5 says, verse 12. When they should be eating solid food, strong meat, they're, they're still drinking milk. They should have matured beyond that. But that doesn't mean that we look upon the milk or the more basic and simple and elementary truths as something to be lightly esteemed. Those basic truths are just as nutritious and just as needed for the, the little one. So here's what, I, here's what I want you to know about this. We should give the kids at VBS the milk of the word. Number one, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be. Uh, one of the best things that you can do is take a very common and easily understood truth and wrap it up and decorate it with all kinds of illustrations and all kinds of uh, comparisons that really put it in the kid's lap so that they can really put their brain around it and appreciate it. There's nothing wrong with, with keeping it simple. You have to keep it simple with kids. But I say that, I hasten to say that kids understand far more than we give them credit for understanding. A lot of times kids can comprehend things that are a lot more profound than, than we think they can. It really is more about whether we can explain it in a way that the kids can understand. So it's not so much their comprehension as it is our explanation. And someone once said, uh, if, you, if, if something is so profound that you cannot explain it in simple terms, you don't understand it fully yourself. That's true. But the second thing we want to see about giving kids the milk of the word, stick with the simple things. That's okay. But definitely give them the milk of the word. It should be unmixed pure, not watered down. You should give them the truth. They're, they're, this is a foundational time in their, in their, in, and they're at an impressionable age. They, they need the full strength milk. In other words, you need something that suits their age and understanding, but don't pull back because they're a kid. No, give them the full truth, the unmixed the full strength milk, because they need that nutrition. They need the facts. They need the truth of the Word of God. It just needs to be something they can digest. Sometimes what people do, oftentimes, is because they're dealing with kids, they, they, they dumb it down to where there's very little truth actually there. Don't do that. 
Give them the milk, the unmixed milk, because they need it. All right, let's look at the next thing. Um, actually, there's one verse I want to read before we go back to 1 Corinthians. This is chapter 14, verse 20. I thought it was good. Brethren, chapter 14, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, if you want to look at it. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. What am I talking about there? All it's saying is that children have an understanding and adults have an understanding. You see that? That's all it's saying. Children have a certain understanding. You need to give them what they can handle, but you need to give it in full strength. Don't pull back on the truth just because they're kids. That's one of the biggest mistakes people make, make with kids is they, they give them watered-down, unnutritious things just so they can pat themselves and pat, them, pat, or pat, pat the little kids on the head, send them on their way and soothe their own conscience that the kids got a little Bible story. You ought, to be, you ought to be teaching these kids some facts, some doctrine, some truth that apply. And you ought to take it and you ought to apply it to them. They walk away and they're like, man, I learned something. Man, I don't, I don't know. It's, the Lord's talking to me. But listen, that doesn't happen unless you give them the truth. In full measure. Number three, be careful not to allow your lessons to devolve into moralism. Be careful not to allow your lessons, those of you who are teaching, do not allow your lessons to devolve into moralism. So here's what happens. Let me tell you what moralism is, just in case there's any ambiguity there. Moralism refers to the emphasis or adherence to moral principles, often with a strict or puritanical attitude. It can be characterized by an inclination to judge or evaluate actions, behaviors, or beliefs based upon a particular set of moral standards. Moralism can sometimes be seen as overly prescriptive or judgmental, as it places a strong emphasis on conformity to a specific moral code. There's something else that moralism does. You see, what, when, you, when you take the gospel and you replace it with moralism, that becomes the central theme. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Bible. Let me ask you a question. What is the Bible about? David, let somebody else answer. I know what he's going to say. We'll get to you in a minute. All right, David, go ahead. All right, what else? You make any other suggestions? If you go out of here and you go to people that go to church, I'm talking about members of churches, and you ask them what the Bible's about, most of them are going to say how to be a good person. That's moralism. That is cultural Christianity. What does God want you to do? What is, what, you might say, like the, like the, uh, the catechism, they say, what is the chief end of man, you know? Most people would say, to be a good person. That is not it. That is not it. That is not biblical. That is not biblical, and I'm going to prove it to you. The point of your lesson when you teach kids is not, okay, Johnny, now be a good boy. Like one of the lessons that's in this, and it's a perfectly sound lesson, is the story of the Good Samaritan. 
The Good Samaritan has a lot of different ways you can apply it. But the Good Samaritan is not just about be, be a good person. That is not the theme of the Bible. But this is a characteristic of cultural Christianity. In other words, the grand spiritual truths that are found in the Bible are distilled down to just basically, God wants you to do good. Why did God give the law? Why, why did God give the Ten Commandments? Because he wants us to be good people. All right, let's look at that. Romans chapter 3, if you would. <clears throat> and see, what I'm describing to you, cultural Christianity, which is, cultural Christianity, which is people hold to this moralistic view of the Bible, right? This moralistic view of Scripture, this moralistic view of God, where God just wants us to be good people. And that's basically what the Bible tells us. And that's why he gave us the commands. And so that's what everybody... Now, Johnny, this is the Good Samaritan. Now, Johnny, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you need to be a good little boy like Zacchaeus. That's, that's what it comes down to. That is dumbing down the truths of Scripture. You do not need to teach moralism. And the thing is, if you do... Here's the thing. If you don't prepare your lesson, even for a kid, that's what will happen. Because that's the default. Romans 3, verse 19. Look what it says. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God didn't give the law to make people good little boys and girls. God gave the law to make you look ugly and wicked. I wonder how that would go over in a Sunday school lesson or an EBS lesson. But that's the truth. So here's the thing, if we, take, if we take the Ten Commandments as an example, and we say, okay now, kiddies, you know, you're not supposed to steal. Who's, gonna, who's, gonna, who's not going to steal this week? Oh, okay. Look, if you do that, you are missing the point of the law. You're not using it right. You're not, you're not using it for its intended purpose. What do I mean? Look at verse 31. Talking about the faith in Christ versus trusting in the works of the law. He says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. What that means is all the things God is saying, we believe in Christ. We don't think those things, we don't think those things save us, but they demonstrate that we need to be saved. They make us guilty and shut the mouth of boasting. You see, well, I'm using that as an illustration. When you, get, when you get to different, different uh, moral themes or moral uh, lessons that might be in some of the things in VBS, and that's all fine and good. Those are moral standards that God set. But you can't just leave it with pat the little kid on the head and say, okay, well, now you know you're not supposed to steal. That doesn't help them. And that's also not why God gave the word in the first place. So that means you're going to have to step back and you're going to have to say, all right, here's the story of the Good Samaritan or the story of Zacchaeus, because that's in there too, or the temptation of Christ, because that's in there too. And you're going you're gonna to have to ask yourself, now, what is the point of this? What is God's intention in this? And then you're going to have to ask yourself, how do I find Jesus in this? When you study these lessons and you prepare them, you should look for Jesus in the lesson. 
you should look for the cross in the lesson. God doesn't give his word so that we would be good boys and girls. He gave us his word so that we would know him. Right? That's what David's saying. Our relationship to God. It's not about being little boys and little good little boys and girls. It's about knowing God. As an example, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, one of the primary reasons God, uh, that Jesus gave that story is because someone said, and who is my neighbor? But within that story, it's such a long kind of well-developed story. Within that story, you see Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He is the half-breed. I mean, it's the gospel's all through there. But see, if you just say, God wants us to be nice, if that's all you say, you have missed it. That's why you have to prepare. Pray about it. Look for the cross. Look for Jesus in the lesson. And don't let it just kind of devolve into this just little moralistic something. That is not going to help the kids. They know you. they're not supposed to steal. <laughs> That's not the point. You need to get them to Jesus. That's the point. Lastly, look at Mark chapter 10. Hold your place there. And also get 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Mark 10 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would. All right, Mark 10. Here's what I'd like to, to on this point. <clears throat> and you'll see it illustrated in just a minute. When you teach kids, please listen to the words, the words because it's... Every word is important in this. When you teach kids, you must both have and show. You must both have and show genuine interest and care to kids to have their heart, their ears and their hearts. Have and show. You must have it in you. It has to be real and you must demonstrate it. Because kids know intuitively and have a sense of who cares about them and who likes them. If you come in there and give somebody a solid Bible lesson, it could be hellfire and brimstone in a, in a VBS. But if you don't care about them, they know it like that. If you're not interested in them, like that. Or if you've got something to prove and you want to dominate children... Tell them to establish who's the boss. They know it like that. That's not, not how you get kids' hearts. Mark 10, verse 16. They brought children to Jesus to bless them. And, of course, the disciples shooed them away because they viewed kids just like I, what I described at the beginning. Verse 16 says, And he took them up in his arms, and he and put his put his hands upon them and blessed them. There was no question among those children that Jesus was interested, that Jesus cared, 
he stopped to talk to them. He stopped what he was doing. He showed them gentleness. And that's what actually what 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, I'll just read that before I conclude. Paul says to them, to the church, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Kids love gentleness. Jesus took them up. Jesus was gentle. Jesus demonstrated his care that was in his heart for them in a way they could see and understand. You think about ways you can do that. By, you can do that by being patient. You do that by not being bothered by them. One thing that hurts kids the most is when we act bothered. We can be interested in them. One big thing, and this is what the Lord did here. When you're dealing with kids, stop and let them talk. I know what they're saying might not interest you, like personally, but let them talk. Stop what you're doing and give them an audience. That's what the Lord did. He stopped. Everything, his important ministry, and took them up, and no doubt, I'm sure, talked to them. Allow them to talk. Listen to them speak. Don't hurry them along. Sometimes it helps to stoop down, get at eye level with the kids. They already know you're in charge. <laughs> they already know that. You, you know, are slamming our fists down and insisting that we're the boss doesn't do any good. But what does do good is to show genuine interest and care and love for the kids and be gentle with them and patient because they pick up on that in instantaneously. And that might be the difference between a kid who pays attention and doesn't. You see, <clears throat> these are just biblical principles that hopefully will assist us in interacting with the kids in providing the lessons, you know, it's, it's so important when we go into, to make our lessons and we look at these things that have been assigned, these passages and stories that have been assigned, that's fine. Use those. But you use them and say, how can I get, how can I get them to Jesus in this? How can I teach them a good, solid, weighty lesson and how can I apply it to them? And here's the thing, when you do that, you will be surprised at what the Lord will do in the hearts of kids when you don't shortchange it and you put the time and the effort and you put the compassion and the care and the love. It makes a huge difference. Let's pray.